After fighting and coaching his way through a storied 47-year professional hockey career, Mike Milbury's gloves are again off for his next chapter as a radio host. Talking about the NHL, the Boston Bruins, and the hockey world at large. Brought to you by Catches Law. Since 1986, they've had the backs of every hardworking tradesman in New England who finds themselves injured on the work site. You pay nothing unless they win. So get your free consultation today at catcheslaw.com or by calling 508-321-7000. You're listening to Gloves Off Hockey with your host, Mike Milbury, joining us live. How are you, Mike? I'm well, Ben. Thanks. And, uh, you know, you end your show little org. Like, do people ever inquire about that? A few fans have indeed recognized uh, John Kiley there making it happen. And, yeah, you know, it's a little throwback there. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit of a hockey guy myself, Mike, and I, I just like the classics, I guess. Yeah, the classics. The guy that played for all three three professional sports teams at the time. There weren't even the Patriots. Seriously? But it was, uh, it's always interesting to hear that little ditty at the end of your show. By the way, where'd you go? You went away for a couple days, didn't you? Yeah, went up to uh, the Great North, up to New Hampshire there, and uh, got a nice uh, 12 inches of snow, and uh, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, what did you do? Did you do some skiing, some snowmobiling? What was the attraction? You know, it's funny enough, we uh, we had the family connection up there, which was great, and we went to the uh, ski capital of New England and never even saw a slope. Oh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun i went the other direction to warm weather to florida for a little while and and uh i think i made the better call anyway I get the so. get to hockey here i mean road trip for bruins continues and last night it was in montreal and you know it's another win of course it's the, the, the weeks go by and the weeks are just the same as any other week sixth win in a row um Fast to 25, 80 points in any team in, in NHL history. Uh, it was- Oops, sounds like we're having a little bit of uh, technical issue there, but we're going to get Mike back on the line. Actually, let's. Uh, Mike, are you there? I am here. We are there. All right, cool. I'm going to get you on a backup line just in case. Sounds like we're having a little bit of trouble there, but go ahead. We got you back. Okay, so they're going to hit the road again. Well, maybe not. That's okay. We'll get Mike on the fun phone here in just a bit. Well, not the fun phone, but the other line here in two seconds. And there is a lot going on here. Absolutely a broadcast house. The Boston Bruins really making it happen here. And I think we're going to Mike back here as we work through this. Mike, you back there? I'm in. We are. Yeah, that thing's not kicking right now, but that's okay. We're going to get you on the line here. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to continue right along here on Gloves Off Hockey here on 1510 WMEX. So stay tuned, folks, and don't you touch that dial. Take two here on Gloves Off Hockey with your host, Mike Milbury, now joining us on the WMEX Good Guy phone. Mike, are you with us? I'm with you. I don't know what happened there, but... uh... We'll sort our way through it. We were talking about the Bruins winning last night in Montreal, and they continue on this road trip. Uh, and we're heading into the All-Star break, and then they got a nine-day break. It's crazy. Uh, and then nine games in 18 days, and six are on the road all over the place. Dallas, Nashville, Seattle, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. It's merciless. So 13 games would travel, but, you know, and a big break, which could help, but it also could hurt. When you're in a rhythm like this and you get that much time off, sometimes you lose a little of the pace of the game and it becomes difficult to get it back. But the record from now till the end of the, fe- the, end of the month, uh, actually the end of February, I think is going to be a little different than what you're seeing right now. The schedule maker did them no favors. And while I'm at that, just keep this in mind. Um, and I'm just trying to kind of dampen everybody's expectations for this team because they've been so so incredibly good. But in the last 44 days of the season, they played 22 games. That is, that's beating the horse to, to yeah. a fairly well. Not not fair, but it's, uh, it's really, they're fighting through teams like Montreal, who last night was an ugly game, right? It was an ugly game, and, and the system was, clog it up and that's what weaker teams do when they come up against teams with talent they you know they try to play a simple style not pretty um not but can be effective because you work hard and you check hard it can be disruptive so they got it done um 
with a late goal by Bergeron. Who else? I mean, Bergeron was getting schooled in a face-off circle, which doesn't happen very often. But then when it counted, he won a drawback to Pasternak in a set play. And then Pasternak took the shot, puck rebounded past a couple of Montreal defenders right to Bergeron, back in the net, game over. And, you know, that's the way it's going for them right now. And I'm, you know, it's just so much fun to watch him. But, you know, as we push toward the All-Star break, in early February and in early March, the trade deadline. I thought that's a kind of a good time to evaluate the Bruins, and then maybe later on the, the last part of the show, play general manager. First, the Bruins haven't surprised people. They, they have just shocked the NHL world. They're thirty-seven, no, thirty-eight, I think, five and four. Mind-boggling. They score more than anybody in the league. They yield fewer goals than any other team. Their power play is third in the league. The penalty killing, of course, is the best in hockey. Their top line is consistently terrific, and I'm assuming DeBrusque will be that. It's my concern with this team all the time, with the schedule that they're playing under, is they're going to get hurt. DeBrusque got hurt. He'll be back. That that line will be reunited. Pavel Zaka on the second line with Krejci and Pasternak. Zaka is starting to get my attention. I, I was not I was not high on him early on. This is a good second line. And now we've got all coil and whoever else, Frederick probably, and, and whoever plays that fourth line along with Foligno, Nosek when he comes back from his injury, and maybe A.J. Greer, that's a solid lineup. And, and so you're looking at this as a general manager, right? Then you're looking at it and you say, you can't find anything, any holes in that, can you? Uh, there's at least not too many glaring holes. I will say that. I mean, I also expect eventually to find mortality here in this team. Not that I want them to not succeed, certainly, but we all know it's an 82-game season, and eventually they're going to find that spot. And I hope they don't, but I don't know where it's going to come from. I definitely feel like the depth on this team is ready to roll. They've got some size. They've got some speed, plenty of skill and talent. I'm not sure which part of the engine is going to go first. Uh, it's really tough for me to tell. Well, I think they could use an upgrade on the third line, probably with an offensive player. I like Frederick playing on the fourth line, although you got to give him some kudos for the way he's played. But um, could you leave it alone? Yeah, you could leave your forward group alone. Would you like to get a little better? Well, we'll talk about that, the options, later on. You don't desperately need something different, but – you know, at this time, people are calling. They're going to be very busy. They're going to be some interesting propositions for forward for forwards, particularly the guys in Chicago, Taves and Kane, amongst others. But um, you don't really have a glaring, desperate need amongst the forwards. They're, they're just going on all cylinders. Goaltenders, you know, scratch any trouble with this off the list. I mean, Linus Elmark with it, with it, the way he's playing. 25-2-1. Who does that? Nobody does that. I mean, this is it's just fastest to 25 wins in terms of starts. It's a, it was a 95-year-old record that he broke. And his goals against and save percentage is equally mind-boggling. And then the timeliness of his saves. <clears throat> and then if you had to worry about goal, was what happens if he gets hurt? But then, of course, Jeremy Swayman finds his rhythm. 7-0-2 in his last nine games, looking really comfortable, really confident. And, you know, I uh, I can't see any reason to do anything. The only thing that could hurt them is if both goaltenders get hurt, and that's not likely to happen. So that's Knock, Knocking on wood. To, what's that? <laughs> I had knocked on some wood. I got you covered. Yeah. And that brings us to the defense core. The, the coach wanted to include the defense and the offense to start the year, and Stats didn't reflect that early on. But did you see those goals by McAvoy and Lindholm versus San Jose? I mean, they were just things of beauty. They undressed a couple of defenders, undressed the goaltender, and buried their chances. This one-two punch is as good as any in the National Hockey League, better than 90% of them. And they get big minutes, good defensive awareness. Lindholm was plus 33, which is a a big number, and, and McAvoy is a plus 17. Sweeney's trade for Lindholm has got to be his best and, and, uh, and puts them in a, a sweet position. The rest, of the, the rest of the defense is solid, forward, playing a lot of penalty-killing minutes, shot blocker. Carlo, you worry about him, big body, not very physical, but 
you know, he gets the job done. He's just worried about his durability. And same thing with Grizzly. He's not a big body, but smart player. And Connor Clifton's having a hell of a year. Nasty, feisty, and, you know, that's their, that's their top six. What scares me is I'd want to have more depth. I'm not a fan of Zborl. He hasn't played in a month of Sundays. You know, Strawman, I guess, is hanging around somewhere, um, kind of getting paid a million bucks to, you know, get lunch money. <laughs> Be on standby. Uh, yeah, and, and then you've got Riley in Providence, and none of those guys fit the bill. What they need probably more than anything else is a gap guy uh, that's big and tough and and plays like Kevin Miller used to play, right? Yeah, can't say that wouldn't be appreciated because it absolutely would. I mean, there was also, of course, the rumor about uh, someone from Vancouver like Bo Horvat, but then it's you're really going to get a former captain of the Canucks and just kind of have him around. Who sits then? It's another enough centers going on already. But that is that kind of depth piece that the rumor mill's really been hot about lately. Well, we'll get to that, but we got a guest coming on here in a little while. Um, you can hook us up with uh, Andrew Raycroft, and we'll have a chance to chat with him about brewing stuff and league stuff. And go get him, Ben. Sure, let's do it. We'll go to a quick break right now. When we come back, our special guest, Andrew Raycroft, will be with us here on Gloves Off Hockey on 1510 WMEX. We'll be right back. We're back here on Gloves Off Hockey with your host, Mike Milbury, and special guest on the line, Andrew Raycroft. Andrew, how are you? I'm great. Good evening. How's everyone making out? We're doing okay. <clears throat> well, I think everybody who follows us knows Andrew's profession as a Nesson analyst and former Calder Trophy winner, longtime NHLer. But you know what I want to know about? Your two years in Europe. I mean, you okay. were over there for, you played in Milan the first, the first team you paid for was in Milan, correct? Correct, yes. Milan, and then I went, went north up to, up to Sweden, way up what? north in Sweden. How did you, how did you get to Milan? Uh, yeah, it was it was uh, random, but I was I was in Dallas, and and at the end of of my NHL career, I'd always I'd played in I'd played in Finland in the lockout in '06, and I loved it. That was my first time in Europe, and and being a part of it, and and knew that my wife and I had always wanted to go back. So I started looking um, instead of going back to the minors again I, my, I was done in the NHL and, and didn't really want to ride the buses anymore and, and looked to go to Europe and, and the Milan situation came up and thought it would be a, a good place to, for a guy who was kind of burnt out from hockey but to, to go and have a cool life experience and was it they give you an apartment and a car and all that kind of stuff yeah exactly so I was I we lived right downtown Milan I had I was home every night. I had a four-year-old at the time, and uh, he went to international school. We took the sub, the metro, the subway all over, and, and yeah, it was amazing. All the games were up in the mountains, so it was uh, it was beautiful. But by the end of the season, the, the hockey isn't quite uh, up to the level, and, and I wanted to have one more competitive year of hockey, and that's that's why my next move was to Sweden. And where the, is Bjorkloven? Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, good. Well done. Well done. Uh, that is in Umia, so it's about 350 miles north of Stockholm. So we're up in wow. like northern light country. It was, uh, and it, we had friends there. So by then, I had twins as well that summer. So I needed somewhere to go where the family was taken care of and, and the whole thing. So that was that was the reason for going to that team and and that situation. And uh, again, a great experience and and pretty good hockey. Yeah, but the food's not quite as good as in Italy, is it? Mm-mm. No, not, neither is the wine, nor is cheap. <laughs> nor is cheap. That's not fair. That's so, apples um, and oranges. <laughs> yeah, the booze was expensive up there. So, uh, so yeah, it was, it was it was definitely much different. But uh, again, none, it, was, it was a cool experience. Okay, so you saw this Bruins team play last year, and I've asked this of all the guests that have come on this show, and there's been quite a few of them. Did you see this coming? Did you, first of all, did you see the need for a coaching change? Let me start with that. Uh, n- no, I, I, I was surprised at the timing. I wouldn't have. I, I wasn't surprised just 
hearing and, and seeing certainly the Jake DeBrusque situation play out, but also you, you heard rumblings of some of the other guys in that, that, that mid-range veteran guy that, that was getting leaned on pretty good by Bruce. And, and it was six years. And, and, Mike, you know as well as anyone that six years in the NHL as a head coach is a really long time nowadays, and that voice can get stale. But once he got through the first couple weeks, after the season, I was like, "All right, they're gonna they're gonna roll Bruce back." But so so the timing was most surprising uh, on the firing of Cassidy for me. Well, now <clears throat> you see Jim Montgomery come in, and he and he actually sort of proves the point that a change in voices was a good thing, right? How can he? How, how do you describe his demeanor? Well, he's he's a winner first and foremost. He's won it every level of coaching wherever he's gone to coach he's won he's uh and then of course his personal situation i think having a guy with a second chance is always a it can be a risk but is all usually works out in that they're determined he came back as an assistant coach i think that helped him this year and his communication skills not always being the my way or the highway, and that certainly wouldn't work with this group when you're talking about Patrice Bergeron, <laughs> Brad Marchand. They they know how to win in this league as well, and they have thoughts on how it's done and what culture means to the team. So uh, certainly Don Sweeney made a, a great hire in Jim Montgomery, but I think, back to the question, I think it's his communication and the fact that he's very upfront and, and willing to listen to the players at the same time. Now, do you do you consider him a great tactician? I mean, a lot's been said about his line changes in game. Have you seen that in a, as an effective tool? It, it is, but it also helps when you're moving David Pasternak around the lineup to change different <laughs> yeah, lines. Right. That, that, that always makes the coach look a lot smarter, right? When, when you can move a, a, what looks like a 50-goal automatic score through the lineup and, and to be able to, to change the lines and change the look, that, that helps, but he has what he's also done tactically is got the defense in and, and been able to, to work that. What we're seeing right now with that weak side D coming in and creating offense and having a, a five man unit in the offensive zones really made a difference for this group. Well, um, clearly he's pushing the right buttons, but one button I didn't see getting pushed quite so effectively, and maybe you can tell me how this happened. Maybe it's the goaltender coach, but this is watching Linus Olmark is like watching a caterpillar become a butterfly, a complete metamorphosis. I mean, he's, he seems to be unflappable, positionally ridiculously good. The timeliness of his saves has been, I mean, he saved a lot of games when it was, you know, a one goal lead or down by one. And of course his statistics are just nuts. How'd this happen? Huh? Well, uh, it could, uh, I've been thinking about a lot, and goalie Bob's amazing. And goalie Bob has thoughts, and he's gone through enough goaltenders and really good goaltenders, and and he's learned from them as well. And I think the one the one thing that I know he's talked about with Linus and and Jeremy Swayman, it, technically, is having some drift to his game, not getting stuck out at the top of his crease on every shot on every play, having a little bit of recoil to be able to make that second that third save off the rush or in the zone both guys have gotten a little less aggressive on some of their plays on some of their reads and that's really helped them make that extra save that second save off a rebound or off a block shot in front I think the other thing is and and it goes back to the coaching I think you know when when Bruce Cassidy last season, there was a lot of after games. We needed one more save from the goaltender. We needed one more save from the goaltender, and I think that that can that can be that honesty that everyone loved Bruce Cassidy for can be a lot for goaltenders. It's really hard to play the position in the NHL, and if you don't always feel like you have the coach's uh, back or the coach doesn't have your back all the time, I think that can also add pressure to it. So. I do think that between a new new Jim Montgomery being positive and just letting the goalies be on their own and not really commenting on them one way or the other after games has helped. But certainly being here for a full year from Bob and trusting Bob and what he's trying to tell you, 
what he's trying to give you hints and ideas and thoughts about, and to be able to talk and really know where each guy's coming from has helped Linus in a big way. Because he's a guy who thinks. He talks a lot. He asks a lot of questions. He always has. That's been his reputation. And I think they're both on the same page now. And the other guy, Swayman, gets hurt, slow start, but he's been great recently. Uh, it looks like he's becoming the goaltender people thought he would be. Um, so I guess my question is, there's no rush here. They can handle both of them for, for, for a while. But isn't it inevitable that one of these guys is going to find his way to a different team in a trade? Because I don't think they can satisfy both goaltenders' desire to be the number one guy forever. You, you don't. You, history says no. Um, and, and at some point, yeah, but when we're talking just this season, I think both of them recognize, and, and I think all most teams now recognize, you need two goalies. It's not the one and done. Other than Tampa Bay with Andre Vasilevsky, everyone else needs two guys. Colorado had three goalies winning the Stanley Cup last season. So Yeah, none of them that good. They weren't that good in goals. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not even, no, you're right. Funny not, thing about Archie that. was the worst numbers statistically to win a cup ever, I think. And um, yet he lifted it high. Whoops, sorry. Nope, just agreeing with you. Yeah, no, and, and that's that that's the way of the NHL. You need both guys. the The speed of the game, the travel, it just the body can't hold up and play sixty games in the NHL. So that helps both guys be okay with it because everyone else around the league is only getting to 45, 50 games max. And they have a really good relationship. They both like to compete with each other. They both like each other. So you can make it work this year, but certainly Jeremy Swayman at some point is going to say, Hey, listen, I want my six, $7 million deal too. And I feel like I'm good enough to get it. And I need 45, 50 games to get that. So they'll cross that bridge at some point. I think in the next couple of years, but right now it's going to work the rest of the season. No question. Yeah, it really does seem that they genuinely like each other. I mean, that hug at the end of the game is does bring a smile to your face, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, and I, I was very skeptical of it, certainly last season and, and even at the start of this season, because to your point, goalies want to be number one. They want to play every game, and there's only two spots, and it's, it's, there's only one way to do the position, and that's stop the puck. You can't have a role as a goaltender and, and be okay with one guy taking one role and the other guy taking the other. It's, it's you stop the puck and you win games. So uh, it, it is odd. I didn't have many of those relationships. I always got along with my partners, but um, there, there's a lot of goaltenders in the league now and certainly that have played in the last 20 years that were excited for their team to win 7-6. to six when they're sitting on the bench and uh, you, the team wins, but I know I'm going to play the next game. So, so there is, there has been a lot of that in the history of the game between goaltenders and not all of them have got along this way. Uh, it does seem genuine. And I, again, I was skeptical of it, but it really shows a lot about the character of both guys that they're willing to, to put some of that ego aside for the team. I mean, you, you, you have to put this duel right at the very top of goaltending tandems in the league, don't you? Yes, no question, no question. Uh, you look around the league at at the leaders of the league, the Jake Ottingers, UC Saros, Andre Vasilevsky, Linus Allmark, Connor Hellbuck. Nobody has a second goalie like Jeremy Swayman in that on those teams. So, so for me, there's no question that these two guys are the best tandem, and and I think we've seen that here, especially in the last couple weeks. You mentioned the uh, Montgomerys desire to get the defense up and get in a five-man rush didn't really statistically get home until a few till recently right i mean then you're <laughs> seeing well we saw those fantastic goals by mcavoy and lindholm against san jose i mean those are things of beauty right they are and and how talented those two guys are um i don't think anyone had Lindholm doing what he was doing. I think a lot of us really liked him as a player coming here, and to be able to sign him to eight years was a huge coup for Don Sweeney last year at the deadline. Um, but he took a huge jump with this. And, and yeah, to the point that the stats didn't really kick in 
uh, offensively. They were kind of around the same as the last couple years, and I think that that offensive zone change, that offensive zone aggressiveness that we've seen, they must have talked about it. They must have made it uh, a mindset for the D, and it's paying off right now in a big way. And they're not giving anything up defensively. They're they're not giving odd man rushes up. They're not giving up three-on-twos on a consistent basis, and I'm sure that has a lot to do with the centermen that they have on this in this lineup, but also the D are doing a good job recognizing when they can take their shot and, and when they have to be conservative. Um, we got to take a quick break. Can I keep you around for a little bit longer? Love to. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks. Okay, Ben, light it up. Light them up. Let's go. And just like that, we're right back at it here at Gloves Off Hockey with Mike Milbury and Andrew Raycroft joining us here live on air. And Andrew, before we get going back into it, I just want to say on a personal note, the 0304 set that you had, the pads, the helmet, the whole combo, man, absolute fire. Just wanted to say <laughs> that to you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, I love that combo. I love that gear. And, and it's been uh it it stood the test of time which is exciting for me and and now that my kids are a little older they think it's cool too so uh it's uh it's nice to look back on that year man we had a good team and and we blew it in the playoffs which as as a lot of bruins have over the years that montreal canadians got us that year too yep but you know what i take solace in the fact that for the canadians that was the beginning of the end for that run for them so (laughs) we'll always have that buddy yeah that's right we're we 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 let them feel good about themselves and Jose Theodore, and, and that was the end of those guys. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> well, listen, I, I want to I want to continue with the defense for a second, then help let you play general manager. You know, the, mm-hmm. the bottom four: Carlo, decent player, good size, not too physical, but certainly you know effective player. I worry about him getting hurt. Um, mm-hmm. Grizzly. Small enough, I, I worry about him getting hurt. Good puck moving player, no trouble with his performance. Orbert's blocking more shots than anybody, and eventually that that could catch up to him. Clifton's having a terrific year, but I'm worried about the, I'm worried about their defensive depth. Is that reasonable? I think it is. I think it is because we have an idea of this team playing 28 playoff games, right? And, and that's that's the goal. That's the idea. And and anyone in hockey knows. To your point, you block enough shots, you're going to get one in the hand. You go back and pick the puck up, you're going to get hit on the floor check. And when you start playing every other night in April and May against really good teams, against big, strong physical teams, you're going to lose players. It's inevitable in the playoffs. So, yes, that depth, they've been very fortunate. Other than the four versus 11 games with a hand and McAvoy at the start of the season, they've run out this six them for a lot of games without any issues and that that is a concern that that any team has that that has hopes of going for a long run is depth 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 and the schedule coming up is tough but i don't know if you've looked at it but the in in march and april in the last 44 days of the season they played 22 games and they're not all home games I mean, there's travel. It is a, it is. He's going to have to start trying to use Borrell, Strawman, maybe call up Riley to give those guys a break. It, it is, and that therefore, I don't think the record's going to continue to be quite as magnificent as it was, as it is, just because the way the schedule is over the next month and a half, and then finally the, the last month, six weeks of the season, it's just, it's, it's brutal. And I don't think you can sustain this kind of winning record with that kind of pressure from the number of games. No, it, it, it does get tough. They have these four games coming up right now with Tampa Bay, Florida, Carolina, Toronto. I, I mean, that's that's uh, a gauntlet in the Eastern Conference. And then, then those trips out west, the, Vancouver stinks, but you're playing Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton in a couple of days. That's a tough road trip. It's always hard to come out of there with four points, let alone six, to your point. So uh, I, I see it the same way. I I get the sense that they're aware of that, and, and I think that you have to take the luxury of banking all the points that they have, 80 already, 
and, and be able to take advantage of rest rather than try and push for records in, in the last 44 days of the season. So uh, hopefully the mindset is not on records, but on getting better and, and staying healthy through those games and, and getting maybe their depth is in the organization, to your point. Maybe their depth is bringing some of these other guys up and, and they someone shines. Maybe guys have gotten better in the minors this year and, and the depth is there. So you, you need to find that out as well before you start making deals and, and changing your roster through trades. Well, I'm, I just fired Don Sweeney. I've named you general manager. <laughs> I, I want you, I want you to, to take a look at some of the names that are out there that we probably have both heard about. And, and if I identify the need as I have a depth of defense, and I don't think Morrill, Strom, and Riley still, they can do it for a short period of time, but I want a little more beef. We were talking about yep. earlier. I'd like to see Kevin Miller. So what if I said the name Luke Shen? How interested are you? Uh, if I think Luke Shen fits the mold of that perfect seventh beat. Right, I, I he's played in playoffs before. He's physical. He's big and strong. Um, he doesn't have the same footwork as this group does. So how that translates, but but in a seven game series where you need some some meat and you need somebody to jump in, I think that that is like a that's probably the blueprint. That's kind of what you're looking at uh, throughout the league, and and he can kill penalties too. So. It, you, you don't need you don't need another guy. That, the luxury is you don't need a guy to lug the puck for. You don't need to go find a power play specialist for this group. You need, to your point, someone a little heavier, someone who can play physical and take 12, 15 minutes a night. That that's that's the goal for this group come playoff time. So I, I the Shen name that that keeps popping up that that does make sense to me. And, it, and it's, it, you're not going to have to give up a, a roster piece for that either. Right. I mean, his salary is low. His, you know, he doesn't have quick feet, but he has pretty quick hands, which I like. And, yep. and uh, I think he fits a lot of uh, a lot of what they need. What about, uh, do you know Vladislav Gabrikov from Columbus? I, I, they, I It's they, funny, I... Yeah, I heard his. I watched him play, and and yeah, he's a good, serviceable. D. Didn't really think that he was in the market, but the last couple of days, now that we're getting to February, where he's All Star break, where you start looking at it, that that's an interesting name, and and it, and fits again, fits that mold of five, six, seven guy who can be around and jump in and play and take minutes for guys down the stretch and in the playoffs. So um, again. The beauty is you don't need to find a real stallion. You need to find some Clydesdales. And, and there's a few of those guys still kicking around the league, and teams that are completely out of it don't need them at the end of the season and don't want to build around guys like that. So if you can make a run and get a guy like that, uh, again, fits for me. Okay. So we're going to assume that DeBrus comes back, right? He sits in on the first line again, Zaka, Krejci, Posknock. I mean, Zach has played much better lately, hasn't he? I mean, he really seems to be more comfortable. And, uh, you know, last night had some great opportunities. He's really coming around, isn't he? He is. And, and, and if he capitalizes on half of the chances he's had in the last eight weeks down the stretch, that's going to be a big boon for this team. Because he can shoot the puck, and he's missed the net a few times and had some good, a little bit snake bitten at times. But, but yes, he's... Feeling more the contract, of course, makes you more comfortable, makes you feel part of this in a bigger way, and and someone who's looked on to the future. And that this, and I think when you get a deal from this organization, from Patrice Bergeron, you get his okay. Uh, that gives you confidence as well, and it, it, it makes you responsible for your attitude and your culture uh, to bring to the room. So Pavel Zak has been a, a huge addition to to kind of solidify that top six along with the play of Jake DeBrus. And on the third line, Mahal was, had gone cold until last night. Coyle's fine third line center is good. I kind of think they need somebody with a little more offensive push on the right side of that third line. Do you agree with that, general manager? Uh, general manager, yeah, I can see where you need. Yeah, I, I want to add a, a bit of a scoring piece 
in the bottom six. Someone who might be able to jump in and play a little more of a skilled game with Taylor Hall. Frederick can jump down to the fourth line and be really solid. Like a no-six Polino-Frederick fourth line is that's great. Really, that's a tough matchup the way Frederick. And, again, that's not a knock on Frederick. He's played. He's elevated his game. He's getting to a point where he's a legit NHLer. But if you're winning a Stanley Cup, I think him on the fourth line looks even better. If you can have some kind of a, a hands guy who can help Taylor Hall and Charlie Coyle chip in offensively in those series where they're going to have real favorable matchups. So, okay, that brings us the names and some of the big names that are out there. Patrick Kane. I mean, money's an issue. You might have to involve a third party. Let's say money's not an issue. You got to be interested in Patrick Kane as a as a winger on one of your top three lines, do you not? Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, both of those guys, yes. And if you can get them as quote unquote rental players at the end of the you know the, the salary cap number, I don't know what they are come deadline day, but that that does work to your advantage money wise. And, and yes, if if Patrick Kane's willing to come here and. He's willing to take whatever opportunities are his, and he doesn't need to be on that first power play unit. He doesn't have to play 22 minutes a night. Then, then that fits, no question. Um, one other name that I want to throw at you, and it's come up, and it's come up in conversations supposedly between Boston and Vancouver, is Bo Horvath. Now, we're talking about a whole different kettle of fish here. But the, the way I my ears prick up at this is because Zaka can play center, and Horvath's the top-line center. And Bergeron and Krejci are near the end of the line. I don't know if they want to stay around another year. Who knows? Who knew if they were even coming back this year? But not only is Horvath a top-line player now, but he solidifies your future. And... These guys only come around. They only pop up every so often. So, as general manager, are you interested in Bo Horvath? So, this one for me is more of a stretch in that I would assume that you're giving up. Uh, I don't. I don't care about prospects or first round picks this season. I. I, I have no. Worry about getting rid of them. I, everyone's on the table who isn't on this roster right now for me. A- anything and everything. Um, with Bull Horvat, you're probably giving up a roster player, and that for me as a general manager is going to be harder to pull the trigger on the 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 chemistry of this group. And and where does Bull Horvat go while you have Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, and Charlie Coyle? Yeah, that's a good, that's a great question. I mean, that's a great question, but the fact that you could put in a guy of this caliber that would, you know, if you fit the right pieces in, somehow fit them around other guys, you've got a hell of a player, and he sticks around for a long time, supposedly. That's, that's a beautiful you got to explore it, don't you? You have a huge succession plan if Bo Horvath gets there, and you can get, you know, you can lose you can lose a winger or two wingers and a prospect and a first round pick for him then and, and he's willing to play he he's willing to take that right wing spot you know a Charlie Coyle Bull Horvat slash center right wing third line with Taylor Hall is really good i mean no one's touching that so yes it worked but that one as a general manager that one would take uh, take some, some more stones to pull the trigger on that one for me. Yeah, yeah it certainly would. <laughs> and and uh, so you told me that, so Lysel is the, you know one of their top forward prospects. You keep him in there. They got a defenseman, college defenseman. I, I don't know how you pronounce his name, Lowry or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Draft picks are fine, but then when you when you're going to nick your roster, would you consider Swayman? under the circumstances, to be somebody that you'd part with? Well, the the issue for me there is if you do that and the day after the deadline, Linus Allmark has a growing injury and misses three weeks, you are really straining what you have. 
and you're really going to have to have a good insurance policy. So for me, it's really hard to move one of the goaltenders this season, the way they both played, but also what you think lies ahead. So I don't think I would have have the guts to, to pull that trigger, just knowing you're now only one injury away from essentially having a third goalie play for this team. Well, you'd have to you'd have to find another you'd have to make another move to get another goaltender. No question. My 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 point in asking that is, you know, if you're going to go for somebody like Bo Horvat, you're going to have to you're going to have to nick your roster. And probably DeBrus's name would probably pop up because of his age. You know, yep. nobody's going to be asking for Pasternak at this point, but maybe somebody asks about Frederick, but he's not the part of the package. But you know, if you could. If you could have your, you know, cake and eat it too, and you could get Horvat, they're going to have to. They're going to have to have somebody that they're confident in getting back. And the only two that I could come up with off this roster that they could afford to lose, and not that I'd want to lose either one of them, would be Swayman and DeBrusque. Yeah, and and that's that seems to be that would seem to be what you would need to give up, and that that's a tough one. They they're they're real big parts of this historic team, and but. You like we all know you have to give something up to to get something good in this league, especially now because to your point, if Bo Horvat's going coming east, it's going to be the Bruins, Carolina, Tampa, Toronto. Those are the teams that everyone's going to keep hearing about Bo Horvat. And if it's, if one of those other teams land them, then you're dealing with a big matchup part on the other side of it. So you, you do it, it might come down to something like that where you're trying to. You try to get them so no one else gets them. And that, that's also a big part of trade deadline is, is keeping players away from, from other teams that you might see. Well, listen, where are you today? Are you with the team in Florida or are you home? No, I'm home. Studio work this week, so I'm in Watertown. Always, all right. So. Lucky guy. Well, that's too bad you don't get to exactly. Tampa. <laughs> well, I would have liked Tampa, Florida. Yeah, it's... Uh... I was down there for a little bit, and it's pretty nice. I mean, we were a couple <laughs> weeks, and no, no clouds. I mean, just shorts, shorts and a T-shirt every day. You got to love it. Yeah, right, it doesn't make any sense why we live here in New England at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all wonder that every day. <laughs> all right, enjoy your your homestay. Take care. Thanks again. You got it. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. We'll be right back after a quick break here on Gloves Off Hockey on WMEX. Right back into the sway of things, talking about swaying But, uh, Mike, that was awesome having Andrew Raycroft join us here on Gloves Off Hockey. You're just not going to find good conversation like this any old where. It's right here on Gloves Off Hockey. Yeah, no, he's, he's good at what he does. and You know, people forget Calder Trophy winner. I mean, he played in a lot of different places, but he's, you know, he's well-spoken. He's a student of the game, and, uh, you know, Nesson's lucky to have him. And and we were lucky to get him for a half hour to play general manager for us. But that's, you know, that's what we're going to do right here. That brings us to the point of this whole show is what should and what can Don Sweeney do? Well, it's not just that simple. You're not just making phone calls. The first thing he's got to do is, that is priority. Uh, if I were him, as we discussed a little while ago, I'm looking for a defenseman with muscle, and that adds to what my my depth amongst the, the defensemen. Because if I'm him, and I haven't seen Zaboral play in a, a a long time, and Strawman in a long time, and and, and the coach doesn't want to employ Mike Riley, I mean it. It means you got a problem with depth, and in the playoffs, you're going to lose one probably two, most teams feel comfortable with eight defensemen. They're not talking about the seventh and eighth guy being, you know, as as Razor put it, you know, a stallion. You just need somebody that's a Clydesdale. And, and I think they can find that. They need another quality forward. I'd like to see another quality forward, you know, to join Hall and Coyle on that third line and make them a little bit more dangerous offensively. Um, I agree. And, and you've got to fill voids now without forgetting about the future. I mean, that's the, that's why the the Bo Horvat trade, the you know potential trade, which hits you in the future, with whether it be Swayman or DeBrusque or 
even Lizell, who you know was you know where people were raving about him. Uh, he's having an okay year in Providence, but you know he's got some work to do. But anyway, he's got to make he's got to consider these things with without forgetting about the future, um, and he also needs to be careful. I'm sure he's aware of this. He's been in the job for a while. But there have been many poor trades at the deadline because teams get excited. They think they're going to win a championship, and only one team does it. And other teams think they're going to make the playoffs, and they get excited, and their owners get excited, and all of a sudden they start talking about things they shouldn't talk about. And that's that's something that's, that he has to remember to prioritize. He just can't run into this and get excited because Bo Horvat is out there. It, got, it has to make sense for now and for the future. Right. Um, you know, if you're going to do, you can do something, give up draft picks. If you, if you think you really have a legit championship team. And I think they could do that. I mean, Patrick Kane, I don't know what else besides the first round draft pick they're going to want probably prospects because they're in total rebuild mode. But anyway, the inhibitors money's an issue. Cap today is a hard cap. And, uh, they got to remember Pasternak is not signed. And that has to factor into any major trades they had with a guy like Horvat. And, you know, but it's it's something that can be handled. They've handled it before. Uh, but if you're looking to get a big deal done, you sometimes can fill a void in one spot while you create one in another. And so he's got... I mean, it, it's a it's a very fun and interesting time to be a general manager. So, okay, what are the names out there? We talked about Luke Shen, Jim Rutherford, the general general man, not general manager, president, is looking to start a big retooling in Vancouver. That's why you're seeing names like Brock Besser and Bo Horvat. Their names come up in trades, which you know they know they're good players, but they can't afford them. And, Maybe they're just a little out of line with what they want to do in terms of retooling. Um, so Luke Shen is leads the league in hits. He kills penalties. He blocks shots. Low money. He's a great fit. But of course, you got to know what the price is. Got to be a reasonable price. It can't be over the top. But they're looking for future assets. I think the Bruins have enough in terms of future assets that should attract attention. And I think it's a need that needs that needs to be addressed. So he's a name that's out there, and I'm, I'm interested. I'm not interested in Shane Gostisbehere, the offensive guy, or Klingberg, who's got too much money and not really having a good year, or Matt Dumber's not having a good year for Minnesota. The Gavrikov interests me, and why I brought him up with uh, Andrew. 6'3", 213 pounds. He's got size. He's got edge. He's making a little under $3 million. But and, and teams have been given permission to um, investigate a contract with Gavrikov, what it would take to, to get him signed, which is a tremendous advantage for a general manager. Um, but And there's one other guy that we didn't talk about, and this is another big name. It's Jacob Chikrin from Arizona. But buyer beware, a legit top four, excuse me, top four defenseman, but seems to be on the shelf all the time. That would probably kill my interest in it. So to me, he should be looking hard at Gavrikov and Chen and then see what else pops up along the way. I mean, we never get the complete list of names of who's available but because we're just, you know, hanging out here on the radio show. But there's some forwards out there, too, that I think would make a difference. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Ryan O'Reilly is among that group right there. And, you know. Yeah, I- it is. Yeah, but do you think O'Reilly fits here? I mean, Horvath, Not at all. <laughs> Horvath doesn't even really fit except He's the future, and you could find a way to, to, to move your pieces around and get it done. Um, Besser and Tarasenko are names that were out there, the kid from, from the Vancouver Canucks and for, uh, for St. Louis. But Tarasenko's hurt now, and I don't know when he's coming back. He's $7.5 million, another problem. I'm not as interested in Jonathan Taves as I am in Patrick Kane. I mean, Taves would be, you know, pretty good player to have on your third line. You could always slide coil to either side of, uh, to, to play with Taves in the middle. I mean, I'm sure that would be make him perfectly happy. But the guy that I really would like to see them get is Patrick Kane. I'd, re- I'd really like to see them make a strong bid for him. 
because that third line then becomes a viable offensive threat, and you're you're filling in for depth in case one of your top six forwards gets gets hurt with a guy like Kane who could light it up and would probably is going to be just thrilled to get to a team that that has a chance to win. Mike, how do so, you, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. It's uh, you know, Barbashev is another guy from St. Louis who plays all three positions, struggling a little bit offensively, but he has some offensive touch. Probably not going to be that expensive, but I'd certainly want to investigate that name. But the biggest guys for me, Horvat, which is dangerous because of the hard assets you're going to have to give, and you know you're gonna you're, it's going to be a steep price. But he's got, um, I think he's got 20 goals and 19 goals and 46 assists. I mean, he's he's a hell of a player. Um, Barbashev, Kane. There'll be some other names that can up. Timo Meyer's name was out there for a while, but um, you know, you don't you don't want to upset the apple cart too much. And they played so well. That's why I think it's important to look ahead at the schedule. This team is not going to go unblemished through that long stretch of 22 games and 44 nights at the end of the year. And he's going to have to give up. You know, we're going to win every game. He's going to have to play those extra defensemen. He's going to have to play extra forwards going to have to give these guys a break because it is it's going to take a huge toll especially on the 36 and 37 year old Krejci and Bergeron so lots for the general manager to think about but a really fun time for him because he's going to especially teams that know that you're you're on the verge of a cup in this case I mean everybody knows it there's no no denying their viability as a team now and they know that you know they may be able to sell something to the Bruins. Where the Bruins are, our eyes are full of Christmas presents, right? And they're, they're ready for the duck boats. Just one more player. Just one more player. And, and also, the other thing that I will tell you, Ben, is that the players are watching. You know, and I, I think it's important. And I know they'll talk to Bergeron a little bit, but he's not the general manager. He can't make the call. A lot of times the team wants to see you add something at the end. It's almost like a stamp of we believe in you. And it does make a difference. It gives the team a boost, whether it does in the long run with production. You know, that's that's anyone's guess. But it's a, as good a time as any to be a general manager in the league, but it's as dangerous a time as any to be a manager in the league. And with that, then, I think we've done enough. I believe we have, my friend, and this has been a very productive episode. Great having you, great insight. Still so much more to talk about, but the Bruins just keep on pouring it on. So, Mike, I hope you have a wonderful uh, back nine of the vacay, and you enjoy, my friend. All right, Ben. Talk to you soon. There it is. Right here on 1510WMEX, Mike Milbury, your friend Ben, here on 1510WMEX, Quincy, Boston. And translator W266DQ, 101.1 FM Weymouth, streaming online at WMEXBoston.com.